waited for this day. We've waited for this day. Lord, we just want to repeat what we've just, in prayer, what we've just uh, sang. Lord, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want you to make yourself known to us through your word. 
uh, Lord, through the encouragement of other believers, uh, through uh, all the the ways that you manifest yourself in our lives. Lord, we, we ask for that. We plead for that. That's our desire. Lord, I pray that each and every person uh, in here would cultivate the spirit of, of, of just understanding that when we gather as, as believers and not forsaking this, our, our, the, the, the gathering of, our, of believers, Lord, that, that we would come with expectation, that we would not come with a spirit of, you know, God, what are you going to do for me today? But, Lord, we would come with, Lord, here's all I have to give you today. And, Lord, help us to, to, to be those type of believers and, and uh, make us more like that each and every day, Lord, we ask. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if everybody would grab one of these connection cards, a little blue card in the pew back in front of you, um, and especially if you're a first or second time guest, we would love for you to fill one of those out. Let us know you're worshiping with us. There's also prayer request cards, and pastors and staff will be faithful to pray for those. If you ask, uh, we will put that on the Wednesday night prayer list, too. So the church at large will be praying for those needs, too. So please know that is available, and fill those out. Uh, put those in the offering plate, or you can go to the Connection Center after church, and there's always somebody to talk to uh, out there uh, about anything you uh, church-related you want to know about, okay? So please do that. Hey, let's sing this song about God's everlasting love for us. Um, we're going to be studying the uh, concluding uh, verses of, of uh, Ephesians, and that it certainly talks about this, God's everlasting love. Sing love. 
if you would please as we pray for our offering before we pray for that offering let me give you a little story about a man who was strong in the Lord C.T. Studd was a uh, missionary from uh, a British missionary who spent his life in dedication to service to the Lord serving China uh, India and Africa he penned a famous poem around the turn of the 20th century its opening phrase goes like this two lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way being, convict, uh, being conviction in my heart, bringing conviction in my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then another piece of a poem he wrote is, if, if Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Let's pray. Lord, in Colossians 3, we're reminded that whatever we do, do heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord we will receive the inheritance as our reward. You are serving, we are serving the Lord Christ. Lord, may we always do things and say things that point, you, point people to Jesus and to His glory and because He and He alone is worthy uh, of our worship, of our praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't let the light from getting through? Do you wish 
wish that we could see it all made new. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And is Jesus our Messiah forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe. 
Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's just prepare our hearts for the message today and ask the Lord, Lord God, help me to love you with an incorruptible love. Lord God, we ask that you prepare our hearts to receive your word today. Lord, not so we can know more, but so that we can be more, more like Jesus. And apply this to our lives, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Can you all believe that we've reached the end? of the book of Ephesians. Take your copy, if you would, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 21. We're going to talk about serving together and relying on God. As you get ready to read the text, <clears throat> question, have you ever shared a profound friendship with someone in such a way that the experiences lived out in life truly make you what we might call soul, S-O-U-L, brothers or soul <coughs> sisters. If you can think of that friend that you've had, that you've lived life with, perhaps it was a childhood friend that you grew up with, you did everything together, you shared life experiences together, and certainly we say sometimes that our mate, uh, husband and wife, uh, ends up being that friend for life, and certainly that's true. And sometimes our men need men that are friends, and ladies need ladies that are friends. But we think about being soul brothers or sisters. Well, I want to remind you that we, if we've had that, it still doesn't compare or match that of Paul and Tychicus and that apostolic band of brothers who were brought together in fellowship to share the gospel of Christ throughout the known world. And I, I make that statement to remind you that this kind of fellowship is not possible apart from Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you can't sense that as soul brothers and sisters knowing the Lord right now in our church, but the context of Paul writing this at this particular time and with Tychicus and the apostolic band. It was, it was a fellowship unlike no other you could ever imagine. We can't grasp what it was like 
for Paul to be in prison, being willing to give his life for the cause of Christ, and then to be reaching out to churches through Tychicus, Tychicus and others. We don't know exactly what that feels like because we live in the United States of America, right? So, as we read this, think on that. The Bible says in verse 21, So that you also may know how I am, I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Now, we know one reason Paul wrote Ephesians was to give them this bedrock foundation of doctrine that should lead to living. So chapters 1 through 3 is this great doctrinal foundation. And then when you get to chapter 4, you've got the ethical or practical aspect of how you live out this grand and glorious doctrine. But here's the second main reason he wrote the letter was a reminder that I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. That news is coming to you. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. All right, verse 22. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. He's reiterating this over again, that, you, that he may encourage your hearts. Don't miss that line. Perhaps you've written letters before and you finished out with a conclusion that you felt like I wasted words. No word in this section is wasted. Okay, no words that you may know how we are and that he may encourage that being Tychicus your hearts. Now, verse 23, again, no wasted words. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 24 Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Another translation would be love with immortality. All right? Love immortal. Okay. My prayer today is that the book of Ephesians at this moment is more meaningful you meaningful for you than it was when we started. And I pray that is the case for you in your life. And we've reached the final section of this glorious book, the final paragraph, and let's be careful not to assume it's just an ordinary conclusion. Again, there are no wasted words. All right, division one, serve together and share communication that strengthens and encourages the bonds of Christian fellowship. That is no doubt clearly what Paul is doing, which is half of the title, right? Serving and then relying on God. So the serving part, I know this division is longer than some sermon points, but in order for you to understand the point, you need to, it needs to be a little longer and in sentence form. So serve together. Share communication that strengthens and encourages the bonds of Christian fellowship. So in verses 21 and 22, what is Paul doing? He is purposefully writing in order to strengthen relationships with the Ephesians through information on his own welfare and the circumstances that he is in. And we know where he is. He's in prison. And he's writing. So scholars tell us that at least five years had passed since Paul was in Ephesus. How do we know where Paul's missionary journeys were and how did it go? You have to read the book of Acts to find out how all the missionary journeys went and when perhaps Paul would have written 
certain books and certain epistles. So here's this personal note from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, or we may say to the house churches in Ephesus. And so if you want to hear a little bit of the personal note of Paul writing to the Ephesians and what he felt about them, you need to turn to Acts chapter 20. And as you're making your way there, I will begin to comment on it. Acts chapter 20. It is Paul asking the elders from Ephesus to come over to Miletus and he's going to share with them. And just just a few verses for you to think about the deep bonds that were between Paul and Tychicus and the rest of the church. This is important for us to see. Verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day I set foot in Asia. How long was Paul with them in Ephesus? For over three years. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So this is just not some casual acquaintance. Paul had spent his life, spent three years teaching and training them. And so the bonds were extremely deep. Listen to verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give to you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word He had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Just imagine walking. They are walking with Paul, this apostolic band of believers and servants of Christ. And they're watching Paul get up on a ship, and they're never going to see his face again. That's the kind of goodbye. They knew they would see him in glory, right? But not on earth. But here is this incredible bond. They embrace one another. There's tears that are shed. And so this great apostle's heart is knit together with the heart of the Ephesian believers. They loved one another deeply. And folks, these are the bonds that the gospel creates in a church. These are the bonds that are created when we take a foreign mission trip to Guatemala. When you take one uh, to Vietnam. or, Or when we serve together as a body. When we worship together, these bonds are created We share a common Lord, and we share a common faith. So three times in the span of these small verses, Paul says, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. He's given them communication, that you may know the things concerning me. We see here Tychicus, and Paul mentions him. And so Tychicus is going to give to them the report of his welfare. And we don't know all of that. We could ask ourselves the question, what kind of report did he give? What was in it? Well, we could say much of what's in Ephesians. But if Tychicus were to arrive at First Baptist Ozark this morning and give us a report of what was happening on a missionary journey across the world, we know there would be an update. There would be an update of what's going on. Maybe his own welfare, the status of his, of his health. What do we know about Paul? Well, he had been beaten at least five times, 39 times, save one would have been 40, which usually meant death. Anybody want to be a taker for that one? We know that Paul was frail and sickly, and there's a report that's going to be given. Can you imagine the report of Paul and his testimony about 
being chained to a Roman soldier every eight hours, and it would change every eight hours. Do you think there was any details about how much he shared the gospel with them for eight hours? Can you imagine being chained to Paul for eight hours? And the gospel, and, and what he would have shared, gospel ex, explanation. I'm sure he revealed to them the ones that had come to faith in Christ. I'm sure Paul revealed to them ministry results, plans for the future. I'm sure he shared with them the wonderful examples of the providence of God at work in his life. So Paul reveals Tychicus as the messenger. Describes him as a beloved brother, faithful servant of the Lord. Five times Tychicus is mentioned in the word of God in the New Testament. So you have Acts 20 verse 4. We, just, we were in Acts, right? But in Acts 20 verse 4, we have that mention that he joined this apostolic band in a missionary journey to continue it. In Titus 3, Paul will send Tychicus. In, for, in 2 Timothy 4, 8, he tells Timothy to send Tychicus to him. If you turn over to Colossians, since we're real close. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Notice how almost verbatim, this is what Paul is giving us in Ephesians. Listen to the word of the Lord. Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother. Look, he's mentioned five times, but briefly, but what an explanation of this guy, right? A beloved brother and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that he may know how, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So, this is almost verbatim of Ephesians 6, 21 through 22. Many people believe that Tychicus was the one who would actually take the letter to the Ephesians and take the letter to the Colossians. So in delivering the letters, he gives this personal note. Do you think they knew who Tychicus was? You better believe it. He was part of the church. He was a friend. He was a servant of the Lord. He was recognized by both the Ephesian believers and the Colossian believers. And it's worth noting that in Holy Scripture, this man is described as a beloved brother and a faithful servant. I'd take that, would you? I would take that kind of commendation to my life, if that be the case. This personal note of him being a servant of the Lord. Paul was aiming to strengthen relationships. He was aiming to share information. And please note the purpose of it in verse 22. It's a purpose clause in the grammar. That you may know how we are. So it's not just to pray. Notice the end of it. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The information on what God is doing with his servant. Let's think about this. Maybe sustaining him in prison, even in chains. How the gospel was advancing. These, the concrete examples of providence. All of this was given to bring encouragement to the people of God. Don't miss this. Now if you were in prison... And you were writing back to communicate with First Baptist Ozark. What would you ask for? Get me out of here. Right? I want these chains off of me. I, I want to be freed from prison. But that's not what Paul asked for. Uh, we would probably be consumed with circumstance. We would be consumed with the limitation and the hindrances that we have. 
But that's not what Paul asked for. Paul wants the believers to be encouraged even in the midst of his hindrances and circumstances that he had. Is this not how Paul says that a servant of the Lord should actually live? Philippians chapter 1 says, let us esteem others higher than ourselves. So here is Paul in prison for the gospel's sake. And he has others on his mind. Not his own personal welfare. Not his own relief, release from prison. He has others on his mind. So, what do we really see here? With this encouragement and strengthening and Paul doing this. What's going on? Well, I think what we see here is the basis for inter-church communication. What does that mean? Well, we receive information about what God is doing around the world and we rejoice as partners in the ministry, right? I mean, Whitney's here and she's going to report. I saw it. Oh, now I see you. Yeah. She's going to report uh, maybe June 4th on that night. She's been in Korea. She's going to tell us what God is doing there, what God is doing in her life and in the body in the, those who are saved there in the church, what God is advancing there. We have this all the time here at First Baptist. People come and they share with us inter-church communication. And per- look, folks, the purpose is to strengthen the body of Christ. God is at work in someone's life. Guess what? He can be at work in your life. And He is at work in your life. So when we hear that God is at work... It encourages our hearts. And oftentimes I hear stories, even in our church body, of circumstances that seem to be difficult. Where God has placed you or a loved one uh, in a difficult situation. Maybe it's an emergency, emergency room visit. We know about that, don't we? We know how long those emergency room visits can be. Or a job opportunity that you have that you didn't have before. And God begins to use those circumstances as platforms for gospel advance. And I hear encouraging testimonies of didn't know exactly what God was doing with this, but I found out providentially very fast because God intended for me to share the gospel with someone or be an encouragement to someone. So, how often do we see ourselves as encouraging others by letting them know how we are and what God is actually doing in our lives? Not what God did 30 years ago, right? But what God is doing right now. That's a good question for us to ask one another in this church. What's God doing in your life? How are things going with you? Are you, are you celebrating what the Lord is doing? What an encouragement to hear what God is doing. Do you see yourself as an instrument of encouragement by telling someone what God is doing in your life? How are you doing in your faith? How are you doing with your, in your walk with the Lord? We should be willing and ready to share with others. And I'll tell you that when a true believer hears of the working of God in someone else's life, it serves as a great encouragement to others. We need to be doing this. This is inter-church communication. Paul is a long way away from the ones he's writing to. Distance doesn't mean anything, right, when it comes to praying and encouraging. And he wants Tychicus to take this letter to Asia Minor. He wants these small house churches to read it. Why? Because you can see, Paul says, no matter what my situation is, whether I'm uh, abased, 
whether I am uh, rejoicing, whether I am low or high, in all things I can be content. I can be content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, folks, that's in the midst. That statement is in the midst of difficulty. That statement is not a name it, claim it, grab it, glab it, sneeze it, seize it, whatever. This is living it out in reality. Paul knows what it's like to be in prison. He knows what it's like to be out of prison and standing before uh, a tribunal and giving the gospel. And what a glorious moment. He knows all of those things. And he knows that it's the Lord who strengthens him. And he wants others to know that God can work in them. God does work in them. He wants to encourage the saints. Right? Uh, we have one of our own, Miss Maxine Rhodes. Miss Maxine, where are you? Miss Maxine has been with us since 1977. And I have to tell you, she has been a world of encouragement to me as her pastor. She's the sweetest lady. We call her Grandma Claus, right? That's what Nat and I have often said. If there's, other, if there's ever a really a, a, a Mrs. Claus, that's her, right? Okay, here's the deal. But from the time I've arrived at this church... She's been an encouragement. I say she's sweet. I think if you mess with me, you'd have to take it up with Maxine, and she wouldn't be too sweet to you. Right, David? We, and we know how that is. But Maxine has to move. And her, her uh, granddaughter Brandy's here. But Maxine's going to be moving over to Greenbrier to be with her daughter Rhonda. And we all hate to see her go. Amen. We hate to see her go. But you know what? She's been an encouragement to this church. Since 1977. Isn't that awesome? Yep. We we need to seek to follow her example. Uh, Ladies, because she's a lady, there's a void in this church when we lose somebody like Maxine Rhodes. And we got to step to the plate, don't we? All right. So that's the first part of the sermon. That's the shortest part of the sermon. Are you ready? All right, number two. That interchurch communication is vitally important for us to encourage each other. And you can think, just try to be that to other people in the church, right? What is God doing in your life? Not woe is me, not, not centered on self, but centered on others and encouraging. Second, we need to rely on God's peace, love, faith, and grace. Man, what a mouthful. Peace be to the brothers. And love With faith. All right. Now this is important because this is the object of peace. The object of love. The object of faith. In other words, it is God's peace, God's love, God's faith, God's grace. Okay. These are all divine gifts from God. That's why it's worded from God. There is no faith apart from God. And that's why your pastor believes that faith is not a virtue in you for you to believe the gospel. Faith is a gift from God. Why? Because the text says it right there. Right? That these are from God. All right? I'm not going into a deep theological discussion at this point. I'm just telling you that's what the word says. It's a gift from God. So we rely. So again, there's no wasted words. When Paul uses that term peace, it's weighted. We use this terminology, it's pregnant with meaning. So when you see the word peace here, it's, it's an awesome word. He uses it in the course of the introduction, right? Y'all know he says this. To the saints, verse 2, grace to you and peace.
from our God. So it's kind of like a, an envelope. It's an inclusio. He's, he's bringing peace back to where, where he started from the beginning. But there are other places where it's used that are profound. Uh, chapter 2. Are you in the book of Ephesians? Are you? All right, chapter 2. If you have a copy of the Word of God in your hands, listen fast so I can preach fast. Verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Well, that'll preach, won't it? Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. You see it? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And then the text says he's reconciled us together through the cross. So do you see what's going on? So I, I think it's important for you to look at peace not, it, not only as the cessation of hostility. Because when we think about, well, give us peace in the world, we just don't want to be killed by the Russians. Or the Chinese. Or whoever that might be, right? Let's, let's stop. Let's have a cessation of hostility. Well, you would miss the total meaning of peace if you think that's all it means. Because Paul is reaching back to the Old Testament. And peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. So he's talking about this wholeness. Well-being. So he's saying, God, give the brothers well-being, wholeness, and restoration of God's order. That is what shalom is. One writer says, sin is the vandalism of shalom. Let that sink in. Sin is what vandalizes shalom. Gospel, God's gospel of grace is the restoration of shalom. Not just in your heart but in your relationship with others. So, when you're writing brothers, and you know they already have peace with God, and they do have peace with their brothers, we also know that that peace can be strained. In other words, the peace you now have, I'm praying for more of that in the body of Christ. Do we not need more, that more of a measure of peace even in our body? So don't miss this. The emphasis in chapter 2 of Ephesians is on the redemption of Christ that reconciled you to God. But it also reconciles you to one another. It broke down a wall of hostility. It breaks that wall down. So gospel reconciliation is both vertical and horizontal. That's what this piece is about that Paul is speaking of. The evidence that you've been reconciled to God vertically is the fact that the dividing wall has been taken down and you are reconciled to others, right, with peace. You are reconciled to others vertically, to God, horizontally, to one another. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been brought near to God and we've been brought near to each other. So when Christians are not at peace with each other, it is the very truth of the gospel that it's at stake. Are y'all listening? When you're not at peace with one another, it's the gospel that's at stake. We should all take gospel peace seriously. Paul says peace to the brothers. He's writing to these little house churches. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. And he's, he's telling them, chapter 2, verse 19. Let your eyes move down. Listen to what it says about peace. Chapter 2, verse 19. 
The Bible says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the same household of God. When y'all go home as a family, are you in the same household? Similarly, but I would even add to it that this kind of relationship is even thicker than blood. It's been bought by blood, the person and work of Christ. So I'm telling you this piece is in the household members, but also 425. Listen to what the scripture says about it. And to put on the new self, no, verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're all members of one another. So where is this peace lived out? In a household together. It's lived out with members that are members one to another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we must value the reconciling work of the cross. And we should diligently pursue peace with one another. Here's the deal. You cannot be factious, divisive, ornery, contentious, combative, fighting, that kind of person. And truly value the reconciling work of Christ on your behalf. You can't be that kind of person. That kind of spirit in a person just, that I just listed is contrary to the gospel. I got one amen from a preacher. <laughs> Folks, that's why peace is so important. If you have peace with God vertically... God has broken down that wall of hostility with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? Now, this is strictly Jew and Gentile relationship in Ephesians 2, but that crosses any and all geographical, cultural, economic, no matter what that is. God has broken down that wall of hostility. So when the gospel comes into your life and it brings peace with God, that peace works itself out in a horizontal level. It is the spirit of the gospel in us that strives for peace in all men. Paul knows they already have peace with God. He knows they already have peace with each other. But he wants them to experience the wholeness, the wellness, the restoration in the entire body of of understanding this peace that you have with God and how it overflows to those in the church. This perspective must be with the brethren. Notice how the text says that. Peace to the brothers. That includes sisterin too, right? Brothers and sisters, it includes both. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, this one close, a Christian comes to others only as they are in Christ. What a good statement. The way is blocked by your own ego. Christ opened the way to God and to our brother. That's so true. That is so true. So the bonds of Christian fellowship are bonds of peace. All right? So he prays for peace. Second, he prays for love with faith from God and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the phrase from the Father communicates source. God who is the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul seeks for them to have love accompanied with faith. Has love been mentioned in the book of Ephesians a few times? Oh, yeah. We know what it says in Ephesians. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Just right off the bat. Smacks us with the God kind of acting love where he pursued us. So he's given us this love in chapters 1 through 3. 
in an indicative way. What's that mean? These are all facts. God loved you. God did this. God did this. God did this. God did this. When you get to chapter 4, it shifts. You love others. You love others. You do this because of love. You speak the truth because of love. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because you have been loved by God. Now you are, chapters 4 through 6, to walk in love. Speak grace to the hearer. You live out practically what God has accomplished inside of you. So the indicatives move to the imperatives. The facts move to the application in one's life. We speak the truth in love. We walk in love. So Paul knows they've been rooted and grounded in the unbelievable love of God, in the reality of God's love, and they've been, in free, they've been freed and empowered to love others. You're not going to love others the God kind of way unless you've experienced the love of God. Okay? So, biblical ethics are always based first on what God has done for us and in us. And that indicative only becomes a reality. Or, if the indicative, the, the indicative has to be there first, has to be the reality before you can actually love others. So, in other words, you build upon what God has already accomplished in you. And you live it out. So, there's only one place... In this book, where we are told to love God. And it's the last verse of the book. It's, it's God loved you, you love others, and then one verse, only one, encourages us to love God. We'll unpack that one in a moment. So folks, the love of the brethren, concretely seen, lived out, and demonstrated, is the clearest demonstration that you love God. It is. Jesus said this, did he? Not. You say you love me, or how do you say you love God whom you've never seen and say you hate your brother? Translation. Don't tell me you love me and don't love your brother. That's the translation of what that means. So, here is the encouragement for us to live in such a way. I, I, the fruit of love to God is love for the brethren. The fruit... The proof is in the pudding, right? What's in the bottom of the well will come out in the bucket. Y'all get that one? Yes. So, it's clear the fruit of true love to God is love for the brethren. Paul's point of saying that love is accompanied with faith, and I could spend tons of time on it, he's putting those two profound truths together. Christian graces, love and faith, and he puts those together... And that's because they always belong together. Let me show you. Don't turn, but just listen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Listen to how Paul does this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. That means you can't work your way to heaven. But only faith working through love. So, you can't have one without the other. Paul wants this beautiful connection lived out in the church. At the end of the day, is this not what binds us all together in this church? It is faith that God has awakened in us so that we would put our faith and commitment in Christ. So it's our like precious faith that brings us together as a body. Y'all some pretty weird people. There's differences to all of us, is there not? I'm a Georgia boy from the south and then you have Missouri and... There's a difference in South Missouri versus North Missouri people. 
Y'all all crazy, but there's a difference between those, right? And then there's the Arkansas brethren in the church. Sistren, yeah. I'm not going to say anything. I just said y'all were in the church, right? But there's different places represented. There's different people. There's different ages. There's different personalities. How in the world can we all live in harmony? Well, it's called faith. That is in Christ. Now, some of you may say, it takes faith to love that brother. Well, that's not the context of exactly what Paul is meaning by that. Because you're wed together with the faith of Christ, you're wed together with faith that is shared one to another. So we are one in the bond of love. We ever sung that before? Have you ever? Yes. It is the bond of faith and is thicker than blood. Please see the source. It is from the Father and the Son. Peace comes from God the Father and the Son. Love accompanied with faith comes from God the Father and the Son. So peace, love, and faith are all divine gifts that Paul has given to us that we should desire to give to others. We should desire to live in this. In other words, he's not prodding you people to work up enough love to be able to love each other. He, he's not saying pull up enough faith within yourself to work out enough to have peace with people. Realize, folks, that the source of peace, the source of love, the source of faith is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do these resources ever run out? No, because they're inexhaustible. Because they are in God. It is inexhaustible peace, love, and faith. It is the possession of these divine gifts that makes us brothers in the first place. It's the reception. It's the acceptance of these divine gifts given to us by God that makes us brothers and sisters. So no matter the trial, think about this for a moment. No matter the circumstances that you may find yourself in right this moment. Is not the peace of God and love with faith from the Father and the Son really your greatest need? No matter what your circumstance is, right this moment, no matter what's going on in your life, the more peace from God and the more love with faith, it may not solve it right in the midst of it, but it will sure give you better eyes to see it. Your perspective will change. Either your thought perspective will change if you've got the peace of God and love with faith. And it'll change the whole thing. Or you'll look at it differently. Isn't that true? So folks, I don't care who you are this morning. God, if he gives our church or you more peace and love with faith, that's your greatest need. It is your greatest need. He'll give you a perspective that will enable you to bear it no matter what you're going through in life. So no matter your circumstance this morning. Verse 23 should resound in your heart and mind. Give me more peace and love with, thank, with, with faith. I really think a lot of our problems would vanish away. And other problems will be replaced with a perspective where you'll be able to bear it. And glorify God through it in the process. When we ask God for this. So Paul is strengthening relationships. And he's encouraging the brothers. He's teaching us to rely on God's peace, God's love, God's faith. All right. There's one more verse. Can y'all believe it? It's late. I know it. But listen. You can handle it. Listen. Verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm in Philippians. Here it is. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You do know that you can never love God unless he loved you first. 
The Bible says it. We love Him because He first loved us. It is not our love for God that cleanses us and makes us new. It is God's love for us. It is God's love toward us that enables us to love Him. Paul has expounded in this book on the grace of God, has he not? Grand explanations on grace. I wish I had time to do this. I want to tell you there's only one spring of grace. But there are many streams that come off of it. All right? When you see that word grace, there's only one spring of grace. And that flows from the heart of God. But there are many streams of grace. And if you took time to study Ephesians, and I'm going to do a recap of Ephesians probably. On one Sunday night, I'll do one through three. And on another Sunday night, I'll do four through six. So if you missed any of the sermons, I'll give it all to you on that night. But look, just for a moment, this grace begins all the way back in Ephesians chapter 1. Where God chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. Before time immemorial. I'm sorry. Immemorial. There it is. Start slow, right? Before time, temporal, God's grace was manifested toward you. Please don't miss this. And then all the way through chapter 1, we read of the incredible grace of God where He's given us every blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. See it in verse 6? That's why God did all of this. He did it by grace. His glorious grace The riches of His grace end up being the source of your adoption and your forgiveness. The source of that is the grace of God. And we sometimes people turn a deaf ear and don't want to hear this. But folks, the book of Ephesians is about the doctrine of grace. That's what it is. Because it's grace from the beginning all the way to the end. I call it the doctrines of grace. Why? Because this book is chock full of grace. And in in verse 6... Listen to this from chapter 1. To the praise of His glorious grace. That's why He's doing what He's doing. It's to the praise of His glorious grace. Alright? Just to give you another heart for this. Chapter 2 verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. How? By grace you have been saved. That's called regenerating grace. So, you had grace, time, immemorial and then you had it being for God's riches of his praise for grace and then in chapter 2 verse 5 you're regenerated by grace is that not enough look at chapter 2 verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith that's called salvific grace I told you the book's full of grace chapter 2 verse 7 listen again so that in the coming ages folks are y'all in your seat So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us who are in Christ Jesus. For all time, God is doing this for a purpose. That he might manifest his awesome grace toward us being sinners. I'm telling you this book is rich. I'm thinking about starting all over. Right? (laughs) Chapter 2 verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 2, here's Paul talking about stewardship of grace. Heard of the stewardship of God's grace that has been given to me. So here's another angle. Same spring, different stream, 
of the grace of God flowing out from Paul in order to, to, to give, in other words, he's given the message of the gospel of grace to, to share with others. Chapter 4, I'm sorry, 3 verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. A grace of stewardship. Same spring, different stream, right? Chapter 4, verse 7. Check this one out. But grace was given to each one of us. Really? It's charismata. There is a grace gift given to people who are saved in order to function in the body of Christ. You don't have all the gifts. If you do, you're a church by yourself. Just sit in your own house and do church. Nobody has all the gifts. God designed it for a purpose, right? But you have been given a charismata. You've been given a grace gift. Same spring, different stream, right? It's the grace of God. So, chapter 4, verse 29. Is this good to y'all? Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up that fits this occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So now there's this speaking grace. There's words that come out. In other words, we don't speak words that are corrupt and destroy us, but we give grace in time of need to people. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul mentions, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. For lack of a better way of saying it, in Romans 5, 2 and 1 Peter 5, 12, there's standing grace. Paul speaks of the grace in which we Stand In Hebrews 13, the writer says it's good to be strengthened by grace. So there's strengthening grace. In Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live a certain way, soberly, righteous, godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. That would be called sanctifying grace. Grace. So we need sustaining grace, strengthening grace, edifying grace, sanctifying grace, standing grace. And you need it for every moment of your life. Don't ever think that once God saved you, you were dead in trespass and sin. Now you're made alive. You don't need grace anymore. You need just as much today as you needed when God regenerated your heart and made you alive. You need grace for every moment. I'm a grace man And I like it because you need it. And the Word of God teaches that. There's not a single moment we don't need the fullness of the grace of Jesus in us. The whole thing that we call the Christian life is all about grace from beginning to end. It's grace in the beginning, it's grace in the middle, and it's grace all the way to the end. All right, I've got to skip some stuff. Here we go. Final encouraging word to you. And I may have to preach this again. Listen to this. Grace be with you, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right, scholars are divided. Does incorruptible and or immortal refer back to Christ? Does it refer, could it be translated incorruptible? In other words, it would be saying, Billy loves the Lord with a pure love i.e. incorruptible. That's a possibility. All right. The other one can be grace slash immortality. All right. So we would say it something like this. 
do we love God with an undying love? That would be one way, okay? The other way would be, are we loving Christ today with an immortal look for the future? In other words, does it make a difference in your life today that you're going to live forever with Christ? You better believe it makes a big difference, right? The Bible even says that it should make a difference. You ready for it? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Beloved, it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we shall be like he is. And every man that has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Should it make a difference in your life today in the present to know that you're going to be with Christ forever, immortally, with him forever, incorruptibly? Yes. So there's one of two ways. Does it focus on an undying love for Christ that we have for him until the very end? Well, yes, it does focus upon that. Why? Because this is a participial phrase. I know I'm getting into the weeds of grammar. Grace be with all who love our Lord. You don't know that that's a participle unless you look at the Greek text. But it is. Are you listening to me? It's a durative, ongoing love. Wake up, church family. He's not saying, did you love God in the past? He's not saying, did you make this commitment 25 years ago to say it? I'm saved, I love God. He's asking you, he's telling you that this grace is manifested in the lives of those who are presently, present tense, in an ongoing way, loving Christ. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? It sure does. Makes us think about this. 1 Corinthians 16.22 says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Ooh. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you love Christ? Do you love Christ more because of the book of Ephesians? Do you love Christ more? Is he the object of your faith and trust? Do you find your heart, folks, going out to him in adoration and praise when you think of his person? This says love for Christ incorruptible. When you think of his person, when you think of his suffering, when you think of what he did for you, when you think of his glory... Is there an attachment to Christ that will not and cannot be broken in your life? Man, what a way to end a book. Is, is that in you? Is there a commitment to Christ that transcends all earthly commitments? Check yourself at the door before you answer it. Is that allegiance to Christ stronger? Does it transcend any and all earthly commitments? Young people, you need to listen to me and listen carefully. That means look at me, right? I know you've been sleeping. The things of this world look appealing. They look very appealing. The things of this world clamor for our attention and for our love. But here's what the Bible says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Listen closely. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. Are you all listening? But from the world. And here's the lesson of the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever.
If you give your heart to the things of this world, listen closely. And this doesn't matter if you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. I've seen 80-year-olds do this. Just wholesale, they come to a crossroads and they choose earthly things over Christ. Don't think I haven't seen it. I can give you testimony of it. So, it doesn't really matter what your age is. You'll find, if, if you find your heart in the things of this world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, if you do this, you're going to find your heart shriveling up. Smaller and smaller. Christ will become smaller and farther away. I'm telling you, folks, there will come a day once you've given yourself over to the things of this world that you'll realize that you are spiritually bankrupt and your face is stuck down into a cistern that holds no water and you want to get up and repent and you want to turn back, but you've neutered the love of Christ in your life so much that you're going to figure out that you're hooked and it doesn't appear that you can even turn back. Don't you think that doesn't happen? This church has been full of people for years and years and years over its, at its beginning of people who are not in church today. Don't think this doesn't happen. This is so serious for us to love Christ incorruptly. Loving Him forever. Loving Christ. Choosing Him over the world. And if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you and you're a world addict. That's what you end up being. You're in bondage. And you'll get to the place where you'd give your right eye or your right arm to go back to that time of crossroads when you made that decision to choose the world over Christ. You know a preacher told you this one time. Because I told you. Are you listening? And you're accountable for what you've just heard. I'm giving you a warning. And I'm telling you that if you do this, Christ will be smaller and smaller and farther and farther away from you. Because there's a reason why he says it like this. Love not the world nor the things of the world. Lust of the flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes. Why? Because if the love of the world is in you and it's hooked you, the love of the Father is not. Think about how serious this is. So it's not just young people who do this. It's people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Hear me this morning whether you're young or old. You need to have a commitment to Jesus Christ that transcends all other earthly commitments and that your love for Christ is more durable than all of these earthly commitments. Your love for Him has to be more durable than any and all earthly commitments. Hear me, folks. God will give you the grace that you need to get through this life. You concentrate on loving Christ. Love Him. Love Christ. If your heart is divided, pause. Pump the brakes and give him your allegiance today so that it will be well with your soul. So we pray, Father, here's what we pray. Sensitize my taste buds to love Christ above all. Let that be the prayer for all of us. Soften my heart to love Christ joyfully. All right, when I was a kid, my pastor, Craig Snyder, would sit on the back of a pew and he'd strum a guitar. And he taught us a kid's song, didn't he, Natalie? I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. Y'all know that song? I've got peace like a river in my soul. All right, got that one? He'd sing another verse. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love. All right, stop. 
The third one was, I've got joy like a fountain. And then you would sing them all together. I've got love, joy, peace like a river. You know, you sing it over and over again. Well, it may sound a little cliche-ish. It may sound petty. But I'm telling you, folks, there's nothing like having the peace of God reign in your heart. Like a river flowing out to this church body. Same is true for love and grace and faith. So I hope you have that. And I hope you understand this morning that you can't manufacture that up in yourself. It comes from divine gifts from God. So bow your heart and knee to Christ and receive him. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe upon his name. Yep, and that means his character, who he is, his person. I know that's involved with a lot. But the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You will never know a peace. You'll never know peace until you have peace with God. That's peace where it counts. Amen. And let that flow out to this church body. And don't forget those incredible divine virtues. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, uh, Father, we may not have done the absolute best we can do with this incredible book, Lord. But, Lord, I've tried. And, Lord, uh, help us. Lord, what a, what a massive ending of a book that you've loved us time immemorial. And then at the end of the book, you ask us to love you. Lord, it's because you first loved us that we can love you. It's because you first loved us that that love can never be separated from us. Neither height nor depth nor any other thing can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think, Lord, today we need to come away from here thinking, God, remove anything in my life that's keeping me from loving you incorruptibly. Remove anything from my life that's keeping me from focusing upon the immortal aspect of that love for us. That, that we're going to be with you for eternity. That when we see you face to face, nothing compares to seeing the Lord of glory who died for us face to face. Nothing compares to that. Lord, may we live in such a way that we sense it on earth. That we're not attached to the things of this world. But we live in such a way that we know we've been loved by you. And that love is going to hold us all the way to the end. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. I will hasten to him. I am resolved no longer to linger. Charm by the world's delight. Things that are higher. So glad and free, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, He is the just one. The words of life. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, great.
resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth, he is the living way. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Right. Well, tonight we'll partake of the Lord's Supper and we'll have a little bit of update on our church life together, which we usually do every few months. So please come back tonight primarily for the Lord's Supper. We hope you'll be in attendance. Uh, Brother David, anything we've missed? God bless you. Are you glad that we closed the book on Ephesians or would you like for me to start over? Well, that was six chapters, and we're going to start Hebrews in August. And I think last time I checked, it has 13 chapters. And it's pretty deep, too, all right? So during the summer months, I'm going to preach psalms and different things on Sunday mornings and take a little break, but we're going to re-engage in Hebrews toward the middle of August. And so just get ready for the ride, amen? All right, God bless you.